Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. All right, hello, my name is Kevin Martledge, and today I'm guest hosting Sherry Buziak's Association 4.0 podcast. I'm a senior consultant with Sherry's company.org source. It's great to be with you today. Uh, the Association 4.0 podcast is all about innovation in the association industry and strategies for success in digital markets. Uh, we talk with people who are leading that charge. And today, my guest is Al D. Al is the founder of Better Work Labs. He's an expert on culture, technology, and the future of work. And we're excited that he's also agreed to be a headline speaker at .org Community Solutions Day event on September 29th at the OLC Education and Conference Center in Rosemont. Al, welcome to the podcast, and we appreciate you being here today. Hey, Kevin. It's, it's great to be here. I'm excited to, to chat with you. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and then also uh, Solutions Day coming up. Absolutely. I can't wait to dive into our topic. And, you know, uh, work and work culture are changing so rapidly. And I'm really interested to get this preview of your thoughts on the topic uh, but before we jump into that discussion, tell us a little about your background and how you came about to uh, launch your business. Sure. So I actually, funny enough, I, I grew up going to association conferences. And, and that's where really where I started to learn the power of culture, leadership, and, and honestly, purpose-driven organizations. Uh, my, my father worked in the association space for a very long time, and he would bring me along uh, and I would tag along. And, and I got to, to talk to different association leaders and to hear more about how they were building their organization, how they were advocating uh, for their staff, for their volunteers, for their members. And that really taught me a lot, quite honestly, at a very young age, just about uh, the power of building uh, a really strong culture. And uh, eventually went off to um, start my own career. Uh, so I spent some time as a management consultant um, at Deloitte. I also worked at uh, Salesforce as well. And along the way, I've, I've kind of been driven by two fundamental questions. And how do we create organizations that empower people to do their best work? Uh, and then how do we develop those people so that they can achieve their full potential? And you know, to the point uh, that we kind of talked about, work and culture have evolved so rapidly over the past two and a half years. Uh, but I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, to really be able to answer those two questions by uh, creating better work cultures so people can do their best work. And uh, during COVID, um, I had a lot of time to really think more just about these two questions while I uh, was working my own career. But what it really motivated me to do was that because I was so excited about really thinking through these things and really trying to solve some of these challenges, I wanted to do more of this work both in the for-profit as well as association space. And so um, now I run a leadership and uh, talent development consulting firm that really helps organizations um, think about how do we build the right culture so that we can attract talent so we can develop them uh, to achieve you know better better outcomes in in today's kind of world, and so that's really how I came to launch my own business, and and really motivates me to do the work that I do. Absolutely, and it, it's so important as we'll get into today, and you know the the culture and thing around um, associations and both the for profit and nonprofit, and especially how COVID has impacted some of those things. It's just yeah. become even more and more important. Um, so I, I can't wait to jump into this with you because I think it's, it's very, uh, you know, kind of cutting edge, so to speak, uh, about how things, uh, how leaders can kind of develop that culture. So, um, so my first question is, I saw a recent editorial where the author proposed that like the great resignation and quiet quitting aren't really a new phenomenon. What, what's your opinion on that? And do you agree or disagree? Yeah, it's, 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 it feels like it, 
is the topic du jour. And I think uh, at this point, every other month, there's a new uh, there's a new word or a new phrase that seems to be taking hold of, of the zeitgeist in terms of talking about work culture. And I think fundamentally at the core of it, I would agree that the underlying themes of what some of these phrases are mapping back to uh, really hit at things that are not necessarily new uh, in terms of if we think about one of the themes around certainly around quote unquote quiet quitting is this idea of people not wanting to be fully engaged in their work or not feeling fully engaged in their work. Well, uh, I think that's probably been true since the beginning of time. And yeah. and so there are certainly things today that make this pro- pronounced and nuanced. And certainly we can you know, have a conversation about that, but uh, that is not necessarily something that is new, right? That's mm-hmm. just something that has always been there. Um, I th- And it's it's really funny. I was I came across an article and uh, one of the things that the article did was it was trying to highlight how the the fact that this isn't a new topic and in in that what they did is they actually looked uh, uh, at in the Wayback Machine and looked at hmm. newspaper articles from the 1900s and they came across an article in the Chicago Tribune in 1995 where they quoted a 31 year old local nonprofit executive named Michelle Obama who astutely recognized how the younger generation was showing up to work with an evolving sense of what they wanted from their employers. Her quote was, they're just disillusioned because their parents who were so loyal to their employers didn't get loyalty in return. Mm-hmm. That was an article that was written in 1995. Wow. So that that's just Incredible. one example where, again, like it's, this is not necessarily a new thing. Um, you could certainly argue that there's, again, nuance and, and differences today. Um, and I, I also think the other two things that are interesting about it and just you know, also being a technologist, you know, from your perspective, I'm sure you can appreciate this. Uh, TikTok didn't exist back in 1995, right? And, and none of the social networks did either. So I do think that something that is becoming more prevalent is that technology enables conversations and dialogue and discourse about some of these topics in ways that we haven't had before. And it also enables a flow of information that's available. And so I think what might be new this time around is the fact that there are opportunities for people to have open and transparent conversations about these topics and also to feel more empowered to start asking questions, both of themselves as well as their potential employers. And so, yes, there are some nuances today that make it slightly different, but I also think society and culture and technology have evolved to such where uh, there are just more conversations about this that are happening regularly. And that's really causing employees to really think differently about what they want to ask of themselves as well as of their employers. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, with that technology and things in mind that you're talking about and, you know, kind of the generational changes of the workforce and so forth, um, you know, do you think that's why people are starting to, like leaders within the association world specifically, are starting to understand that, you know, the employee's well-being and that flexibility is almost a top priority now, where maybe even a few years ago, say before COVID, um, maybe it wasn't as recognizable. And so maybe you have kind of the perfect storm between the great resignation and those kind of new words and the way of thinking of things, as well as these changes you're talking about. So why do you think it's taken so long for that to kind of come you know, to the forefront? Is it technology driven or is it some other force? Sure. No, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good question. I mean, I, I do think it, it's, I, always, I always struggle sometimes with questions about generations because there can be so much mm-hmm. diversity and, and difference within Absolutely. a generation. Um, and 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 also some commonalities, and and also you know certainly every time a new workforce join or new generation joins the workforce, they go through their own things, and 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 that um, you know some of that is new, and some of that is just that's what happens when a new generation joins the workforce. But what I'll say is this: I, I do think during the past 
decade or so, and particularly what, uh, well, I'll put this in context. So I joined the workplace in 2010, right? And so mm-hmm. post great financial uh, crisis, um, I was fortunate enough to get a good job. At that point in time, uh, I do think that as an anecdotal item, companies would every now and then talk about, oh, work-life balance is important. Mm-hmm. I think today, in today's day and age, you, you, if you look at any job posting in particular, if you look at any company website, it's probably front and center. And so I, I do think there are definitely just anecdotally from my own experience in the, from when I started as a you know, self-proclaimed millennial to today, mm-hmm. there is something that is pushing this forward. What's driving that? I do think perhaps it is uh, millennials as well as Gen Z in terms of their own kinds of ideas and expectations for what they want out of work. Uh, but I also think that society, collectively society, and we'll just say either, uh, for in the United States, just given the past decade of, of what we've witnessed collectively in terms of both the growth as well as the challenges, uh, there are things that are sprouting up where people are starting to think more just about what, again, what do we want out of our jobs and our careers? And I do think particularly because there are a lot of people who work in jobs that um, do require them to sometimes or uh, require them to extend beyond themselves or to, to, to work significantly harder, or um, they do have other things in their lives that matter to them. It's starting for them to ask the question, well, if I do have you know things outside of work, or if I do have a sick family member that I need to take care of, or if I do have all these other things, how do I make this all work? And so that's when the flexibility conversation comes in. And that's where things like work-life balance and well-being you know, start to come in. And then you certainly have big events and big transformative things like COVID that happen. And it just mm-hmm. kind of uh, makes it even more critical and more important and more and 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 really valuable for for people. And so, but I, I mean I'm I'm curious to hear what you think because I know you you think a lot about work culture and and also just you know what actually um, empowers people to, to come to work each day and helps them do their best work. So I don't know what, what you've seen or, or what roles you think, uh, are, are playing at this here, but I would definitely be curious to hear your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with everything you're saying. And I've always thought, you know, I've, I've been in the workforce, uh, since probably 96, right. My first job out of college. And it took me a long time to realize that, you know, the differences as I started jumping from job to job and progressing through my career, how, how important culture was. And I can look back and say, you know, this place was a great place to work, but the culture was crazy. I love the, the, the work, but I didn't like going to work every day. Where another place I could go and say, I loved what I did and I love going to work. And what were those things that were involved in that? And so over time, all the things that you're, you're mentioning kind of come into play as well as kind of your background. And you think about the good and the bad and the ugly from all your organizations that you've ever worked for and the leaders and all that kind of stuff. And I think culture just becomes a, a key factor. Yeah. And I always talk about culture being the X factor, right? As a leader, you could be a great leader, but if you don't identify and define your culture and what good looks like for your team and what you're trying to achieve, almost like a strategic plan with your organization, then you're not going to reach your full potential in terms of being that place where people want to come work. Um, so I think it, it has a lot to do with everything you're saying. I agree 100%. Um, and I think the other part is just that experience of, that people have what they want and what they don't want out of their jobs and the places where they go to work and the people they want to work with every day. Right. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. I, 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 I think you're absolutely spot on. And I, I would add to that uh, when, when you perhaps have a, you know, a lived experience where you are working really hard and, and you all of a sudden, you know, you get stressed out or uh, it gets to a point where it does become unbearable. Um, you have to do something to change, right? And so sure. let's say you go and you change, you make a change or you go look out, look out and see another opportunity, right? Where mm-hmm. that allows you to maybe get a little bit better 
balance and well-being. Well, it's a lot easier to do that today than ever before. Why? Because um, it's a lot easier to find jobs and opportunities. We're certainly in a market now for at least for in-demand industries and skills where you do have a little bit of choice if you're an employee that does want something else. Um, And so, and then the other thing is, is that again, and where maybe the technology thing does come into play, uh, even if we looked at uh, platforms like LinkedIn or uh, information hubs like Glassdoor, right? Where uh, there is information about that today. And that was never always the case. And so if you are in one of those positions where maybe you're not in a great culture or maybe where uh, you're not necessarily getting what you want, you can go out and look around and see what else might be out there. And then it just begs the question of, oh, okay, could this be better? And if so, would that be something that's important to me? And then you can go and get it. And so uh, I don't even, I don't think, um, again, like some of those desires perhaps maybe are not new, but I do think from a technology component, um, there is a lot more uh, alignment that is required today, I think, from companies of who they say they are and what actually happens. And if there is a dissonance or a gap, uh, I think that's when employees start to question of, hey, uh, this company says that they really care about having a great culture and they say they stand for these things, or they say that well-being and work-life balance is important, but they're not really uh, acting in a way that really articulates that. And so what are they going to do? They're going to look for other places that 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 where there isn't that gap or whether that isn't that dissonance, and so and technology certainly does play a role in facilitating that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, before I jump into the next question, to kind of wrap up that thought is, you know, it's interesting. Like I remember back when I was first starting to get my first job, you had to kind of wait till the job interview to get a sense of the culture of the organization. Sure. Where right now, you're right. You can go on LinkedIn, Glassdoor, whatever. And get a really good sense about what's there, so you can then ask follow up questions during the interview. So that, that's so key. I appreciate you bringing that up because that's a that's a key point about how technology has kind of impacted this. Absolutely. So with that in mind, what what's kind of your best advice for employers who are looking to kind of attract that top talent today, knowing that you know there's all these different things that people might be looking for in an organization? Yeah, I think it. I think it starts with taking an honest honest look at your. Uh, your EV, your EVP, your employer value proposition, or maybe in our case, our your AVP, your association value value proposition, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of, is it compelling? Is it aligned with reality? Is is what you're offering up uh, is going to be something that is going to resonate uh, with the type of worker that you want to come to your organization to do to do their best work, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you need to have an honest kind of reflection upon that and an honest, an honest analysis of that because. Uh, in in a, in a competitive market, you, you're going to need to make sure that whatever you're offering is going to be something that people are going to want to take, right? And so, really digging into that and getting into the nitty gritty around that, and and testing it and getting feedback on it, I think is something that that is really important. Uh, a common mistake I think I see sometimes that uh, associations and uh, and organizations make is that they think they need to offer all the things, right? They think they need to be everything. And you know, as the saying goes, if you're if you're everything to everyone, you're you're nothing to to nobody. And what I would really encourage association leaders to really think about is is to really think hard and hard and long about what do you want to be exceptional and excellent at in terms of what you're offering and the things that you're you're not going to be. Because let's face it, you, you cannot be everything to everyone, and you're much better off about being very uh, focused on the things you will offer and really finding the people that that is going to really resonate. So I, I think that would be one of the first things. I think the second thing is just to think about how you're going to go about providing flexibility. 
And the thing, the catch here is that flexibility means different things to different people and can be used in different ways. Um, how you choose to go about providing that, I think, is going to be on you to define. And I think really critical because if you look at all of the data and research and surveys about what people are looking for um, in, in a new job or opportunity, uh, flexibility is, is generally up there. But how or what that looks like is going to differ you know, for every individual. And it's going to differ for every association in terms of mm-hmm. what they're going to be willing to, to offer. And then the last thing that I would really say uh, is uh, one, there's a quote that I that I love, and I use it a bit in a lot of the talks I give, but it's it's from Albert Einstein where he says, you can't use an old map for a new world. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind this is that the we are in a new world and you need to think and work differently in order to continue to deliver value for uh, your members, your customers, uh, your potential uh, people that could work at your organization. And so mm-hmm. I, I, and this the last piece of advice I would give is you know, for an organization association right now that, that is trying to hire, is to really think about, based off of what you've always done to hire, how are you going to think and work differently to make some changes and tweaks so that you can get to a better outcome in this new world? And it doesn't mean having to change every single thing as part of that process, but it does mean having an honest reflection about what you've done in the past and thinking about how you're going to work differently in new ways. Because the if you're just expecting to do the same things that you've always done to get to a better result, I think you're going to find that that that's probably going to come up a little short. Sure. So, what's kind of your advice? Not want to get into your thoughts on you know internal team conflict resolution and all that kind of stuff, but you know you always have that dynamic against the leadership or within a leadership team of some people that are kind of set in their ways and some people that are like you no know, more forward thinking or yeah. thinking differently along some of the lines we're talking about today. What's your advice in that and to try to help kind of bridge that gap to find the common you know, way forward in terms of attracting top talent? Sure. Mm. And, it's, and it, it's, a, it's a challenging one because mm. there's a lot of things that probably worked in the past that enabled uh, you as a leader to bring the organization to where it is today. And you should give honor that and give credence to that. But uh, the reality of it is, is that we're in a world that demands uh, constant attention to how uh, markets and industries and and people evolve over time. And so uh, if you do believe that you do want to stay relevant, that you want to continue um, to uh, be a a player in the space that you're in, whether that is for your your members and your association or whether that's when you're trying to attract talent, I do think you have to accept a little bit of this idea that uh, what got you here may not get you to the next phase. And so as a leader, though, um, I I think it kind of is upon you to really set the tone to have the humility to acknowledge that not everything that you did in the past will continue to work moving forward, right? And and in addition to that, you don't have to do it alone. And so as a leader, what you can do is if you can create the conditions where if you accept that humility and you encourage your team to think and work differently you can collectively come up with ideas about how that might be able to change and how that might be able to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one example of this in which uh, I thought was I thought was really novel and great and something I am starting to encourage people to do. Um, I had the uh, privilege of going to ASAE annual uh, back in, in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the keynote speakers was, was Safi Bacall. And so one of the things that Safi recommended and he suggests is that anytime you hear someone say that would never work here, your response should be prove it. 
And so if you're ever going to, if you're going to say that you have to back that up with some kind of data or some kind of experiment. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to say, you know what, like we've always looked for these requirements in the job posting that like, we would never be able to remove, I don't know, uh, a requirement about having a master's degree and find Mm -hmm. the right, you know, candidates, then your response should be, okay, well prove it. Right. We're data driven, Mm -hmm. right. Let's go, let's go test it. And, and if, if you're right, if you're, if you're wrong, well, then you learned something and you saw how you could do it differently. And if you're right, and it does end up failing for whatever reason, well, there's still learning in that. Right. And that's one small example though, of just, you know, in terms of how do we uh, collectively evolve the culture so that we can be more open to working in new ways or be more open to experimenting or being more open to creating conditions where people can feel empowered to raise new ideas about how things might work that can still help us achieve outcomes. I do really think it starts with the leaders and that sense of humility and that willingness to, to try and experiment, um, which I'd acknowledge sometimes is a lot easier said than done, but I do think it helps with being able to stay relevant uh, uh, in, in terms of ch- in, in changing times. Absolutely. I love that word humility, you know, and all the culture work that I kind of do with teams that, you know, that's, that's the biggest way to continue to build trust, not only amongst the leadership team, but also the whole organization is, you got to be right. have that humility and be able to admit, say, hey, let's give it a try. Or you know what? It's not about me. It's about us. And I think that's tough sometimes. So I appreciate you, you kind of going into that. That's, that's very helpful. So, um, so you've created a great, you know, you're attracting the right talent and all this kind of stuff. We've had those discussions. And so some association employers don't even consider hiring staff without like specific, say, industry experience. Um, and other associations, think differently that, you know, background can be a benefit, bringing new perspectives to the group and so forth. Um, what, what's your opinion on that, on how you kind of, you know, go about finding then that that perfect person for your organization to fit in the culture you're trying to create? Yeah. So I think it's a couple things. I mean, I, I think the first thing is just an acknowledgement, again, maybe some humility that it's super hard to find the perfect, quote unquote, perfect person, mm-hmm. right? Like you need to, you need to, yes, we all, we all want to hire exceptional talent like that's 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 really important and it's particular it's it's really hard to to find the the perfect candidate but i think it ultimately what it maps back to is having a fundamental understanding of what we think this role that we're hiring for and what we think we want out of this candidate in terms of how they're going to move the business forward or help us achieve this the, the goals that we have set for ourselves and i think one of the challenges sometimes with this is that when when we go from realizing what the open headcount says or we're, we're allocating it for to writing the job description in terms of laying out all of the requirements or what we're, we're looking for, sometimes we lose sight of two things. One, why we're even hiring in the first place. And two, the reality sometimes of what happens of that, just because you hire someone to and say that they're going to be doing uh, a bunch of specific things, Sometimes things evolve and change over time, right? Sure. Example, like the past two and a half years, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, if you walked into your job on March, you know, 6th, 2020, uh, we're, uh, my, my hunch is that what you uh, were supposed to do starting March 6th and what you were going to be asked to do starting, you know, March 13th was probably significantly different, right? Sure. And so I think there's a little bit of just acknowledgement that we have to have around being clear eyed about what we're, what we're really trying to hire for out of a role. So I think. That's the first thing. Um, the second thing I often, you know, really help people wanting to think about is like this idea of like the the, the major and then the minor, right? In terms mm-hmm. of 
when we're evaluating either if we can do this in two ways. One, we're, we're thinking about the job itself, right? It's like, okay, well, like what are the main, you know, it's kind of like being in college, like what's your major, right? Like that's your, that's the thing, you know, super well, like you're super passionate about it. You want to learn about it. You're probably going to do really well in it. And then you also have like a minor of things of like something that you're curious about, you're probably good in, but it's never going to be as strong as your major. Right. And so using that major minor kind of framework, we can think about for the specific role that we're hiring for, what are the things we know we want as the major? knowing that it can't be everything. And then what are the things that we want as the minor? And then when we evaluate, evaluate candidates, we can kind of take a look at their backgrounds, right? In terms of based off of the interview that we've done and just looking at their body of work, where are they kind of a major and where are they kind of a minor? And then we can kind of see where that aligns because you're never fully going to be able to get everything that you want, but it starts to become really interesting. I think when you're evaluating candidates on something like that, as you think about the broader context of the organization, as well as the team that they're joining, because mm-hmm. You might be able to grab someone um, who maybe doesn't have uh, a minor and all the things that you want in a minor, but they have a couple of good majors, but they're complimented because their manager is very, very strong in those things, right? And so sure. it just is a little bit more holistic way to think about um, you know, uh, how to go out and hire. Um, and to the other question about um, your question about um, you know, bringing in staff without industry experience, I mean, I think it's a both and kind of thing. I, I've think there's probably people out there who have done it well, and there's probably other people who who haven't. But what I would say and suggest is, is again, again, going back to like the major or minor you know, concept, it's like, okay, if we're going to bring someone in without that, how do we make sure that what else they're bringing to the table, their majors is really strong and making sure that mm-hmm. we know that they're going to be able to use that right away and really add value. And then over time, you know, we can coach and train them or we can mentor them so that they can pick up the, those other things that they don't have. But I, I think part of it really does kind of stem back to just really thinking a little bit more holistically about what are we actually trying to hire for and and being clear-eyed about you know things may change over time and how does that you know really factor into uh, uh how we evaluate these candidates and, and I sometimes think the major minor framework can sometimes help with that. I love that analogy between a major and minor. I never thought about it that way but that that's so perfect in how you can look at those things and and kind of along those same lines do you you know, it looks like you need to really be well-defined as an organization as to what your team and the culture looks like. So you can yes. make sure that you're aligning those. I, that's one key point I heard you say. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when I'm thinking about the major minor differences in, in that analogy, where would you put like attitude, behavior, and enthusiasm versus their experience and track record? Um, which one's kind of in the major category and which one's kind of in the minor category in your opinion? It's a it's a really good question. I do actually think part of the answer is going to rely in terms of like what the culture your organization has is going to support. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think you know, roughly speaking, too, uh, if you're if you're trying to hire an astronaut, you you probably want someone who knows how to be an astronaut, right? Like mm-hmm. it just and and knows how to go to the moon. Like there's there's probably like yeah. no no way around it. Um, yeah. There's there's no, unfortunately no there's no getting around some of that some of that. Um, you know, I I think I, I think. I think it's a there's there's a there's a couple things that kind of come to mind here. One of the first things that that comes to mind is uh, Carol Dweck's work around the growth mindset, right? In terms of growth mindsets versus fixed mindsets. And uh, for those who aren't as familiar, it's just kind of this this idea that um, you know you know there is uh, when when the, when someone has a mindset of all the skills they have are all the skills that they have, and they're they're not necessarily going to be able to pick up something new versus someone who who kind of looks at it as I have an opportunity to potentially grow and. And, and build uh, uh, towards something. And a lot of times they find that uh, people who have growth mindsets tend to 
uh, be more engaged and be more productive and all the like. And so there's part of me that, that, that wants to believe that if someone does have the, uh, the growth mindset and a willingness to learn and in a willingness to try that they can, uh, they can pick up uh, some things that maybe they don't have expertise or experience in, uh, that said, there's probably some things, you know, in any given job role where you probably do want to really make sure that someone has done it or they, they can, they can explain how that they would do it and do it well, uh, because, uh, the, it's just the, the role just kind of requires it. So I think all of those things, all of those things matter. Um, the context of the role really kind of determines what that is, as well as what kind of culture you have to support that, right? If you are in a culture where people are regularly going above and beyond to try new things or to learn in new ways, well, then having someone who has a little bit more openness of a mindset and an eagerness and willingness to learn is probably going to be really good. Or another kind of analogous example of this is um, I used to work in management consulting. And mm-hmm. when they hire uh, undergrads out of school, they don't hire them for their expertise, right? Because or, or their exp- their work experience, because they don't really mm-hmm. have any. Um, they hire them because they certainly have a level of intelligence, but also because they have a willingness to to learn, right? As well as an eagerness to 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 work hard. And they also have a culture a lot of times of apprenticeship and mentorship. And so in in that specific role and that specific model, I do think that you can probably over in, index a little bit more around uh, attitude as well as an eagerness to learn than perhaps specific uh, past experience, right? Uh, but that's going to vary um, in, in organization to organization. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm going to throw it back to you because you think about culture a lot. What's what's your kind of uh, thought process on this, particularly having you know done some work in the uh, with with different associations that have different cultures? You know, do you think they sure. have the ability to kind of uh, stomach you know taking on someone who maybe has a really strong attitude and a really good work ethic, but maybe doesn't have as much experience, or or vice versa? Yeah, you know, it's. Um... It's something that I I may be skewed a little bit. I think it really depends on the the organization of the company that you're working in. But I, I really agree with what you're saying as far as it, it's the culture and and what are you looking for. And I've I've always said it took me a long time in my career before I started to realize this that as a good manager I can teach you how to do your job. Right, you're going to have to have some kind of basic transferable skills to get you in the door, so to speak. But I would much rather hire for attitude, behavior, enthusiasm, fit to the team, fit to the culture, and then teach you the nuances of your job based on your transferable skills than to have somebody that has a great track record. Um, that's, that's a plus if they have both. But, you know, I'm not going to hire just for track record. Um, the track record and their background is going to get you in the door. I'm going to you know, talk to those people. But if all things equal, I'm, I'm hiring for the attitude, behavior, and enthusiasm over the yeah. skill every day. Yeah. Um, I just think that it, it's been successful in my career, both on the for-profit and the nonprofit side. Sure. And I have stories from all kinds of people that have had success, you know, looking uh, at it kind of that way as well. And it kind of, you know, supports what you're saying as well. I think, I, I, I think you're right. And what I would also say is that um, one of the points you brought up there is around the role of the manager. And I think that mm. is super important. Yeah. And I think if, from my experience, at least, uh, the managers who recognize that coaching, um, mm-hmm. mentoring, uh, and feedback are critical elements of their, their job and that they're willing to do it, I have no qualms about telling them, yeah, hire for, for aptitude and beha- attitude all day because mm-hmm. I know that they're going to invest the time uh, to, to coach that individual 
but the, they're going to get the ROI on the back end because because if they spent that between spending that time and that individual's disposition towards learning and, and growing, I think that's mm-hmm. going to net out incredibly positive. But yeah. I would be much more hesitant to recommend that approach if I felt that the organization wasn't necessarily empowering their managers to do that or wasn't make you know encouraging them or training them on how to do that because that might potentially set up that individual uh, employee. Uh, not not for success. And so I think you're absolutely right. And I personally, I, I tend to use the approach more that you outline than not, but I recognize different different organizations are at different places. But again, sure. it does keep going back. We just keep hitting on the same point. It comes back to that <laughs> culture. It just really yeah. does come back to that culture. Absolutely. So we're, we're kind of up against our time, but I, I want to kind of end with this question just to kind of bring back in the technology piece um, yeah. with all of this and the innovation yep. around technology. And we talked about technology has provided people opportunities to understand a little bit more about the companies, you know, with Glassdoor and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Um, but what other challenges and opportunities do you feel like technology brings to the future of developing a, a sustainable and supportive business culture? Um, what are some of those other challenges or opportunities that you kind of see on the horizon in terms of yeah. technology in those areas? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think, as we, we think about this, I mean, there's a couple of things. Well, for number one, it's always thinking, or associations are always thinking about their members and their profession, right? And so, I mean, I think first and foremost, it really helps us anchor around how can we deliver value in new ways you know, to those members, right? And, and I think that can be challenging a lot of times, but what it also I think it does is that it really can push the, the organization um, to, to, to evolve their culture, right? Because it really takes away the constraints that they normally uh, potentially rested on uh, and moves them forward in a way where the, where they are potentially thinking about, um, you know, what else can we do or how else can we deliver value in new ways? I think what it does internally for the association in terms of the actual uh, organization itself is that I think it certainly can help them, you know, become more efficient and more productive in terms of all of the tools that you can use to work and get work done, you know, each and every day or be able to empower a, a, a hybrid or distributed workplace. But what I also think technology can do in that case is that what it essentially does is it helps get more pulses of what's going on, right? In terms of if you're using technology in some kind of way, it's every interaction is giving a signal of some kind. And there's opportunity to learn in that specific signal. And then there's opportunity to learn a lot from uh, a set of signals in a given month, a given year, et cetera. Um, a really easy example of this is uh, employee survey software, right? In terms of, you know, being able to evaluate, you know, how your employees are doing or how they're thinking or um, how things are progressing or certainly, um, you know, other types of, of software that really monitor um, communications, right? In terms of, are we sending too many emails or are we sending too many slacks or, or things like sure. that? But I think the, the, better, I, the, the better thing of what it does is that it helps us pay more attention uh, to uh, to getting those insights of what's going on and then enabling the organization to think about, okay, well, now that we know this, how can we use it in, in different ways to either structure the work we have or to make people feel more connected to the organization? Or, oh, we found a potential opportunity that we want to go invest in now because this technology gave us signal that the, the data that it was important to do. Hmm. Um, and so, I, I, I mean, I think I think that that can really help at least internally within the org- organization in terms of trying to to kind of make it better. Absolutely. I, I could agree with you more. And I appreciate your insights in that. And I have to tell you, I can't believe the half hour is up already, but I want to thank you so much. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And I absolutely cannot wait to meet you in person at, at Solutions Day uh, here in a, a week or two. 
um, and we could continue this conversation. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, it's been a true pleasure and honor to kind of talk with you today. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks so much, Kevin. And great job on your first time guest hosting. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Um, I'd also like to thank our listeners and, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Association 4.0 podcast. Um, to meet Al and other leaders like him, consider joining us at Solutions Day on September 29th. You can register at .orgcommunitysolutionsday.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Association 4.0 podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and have a great rest of your day. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. Org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.